from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Guns in the hands of a domestic abuser can turn domestic violence into murder. Do you feel like this is something where this, this gets people's attention? It gets people's attention, yes. When they see your face, it gets their attention because they're able to see where you're coming from in your face expression. Right. <laughs> so once, like I said, once I'm able to get there in person, they will see my little cute face and I will be there talking to legislators and getting my point across um, along with Tanya as well. You're not going away. You're going to come back on this. Um, no, they're stuck with me. I'm not <laughs> going anywhere. I'm Sarah Fenske. Yesterday, St. Louis City and County filed suit against the state of Missouri. At issue, a new state law that seeks to invalidate federal gun laws and slap police departments with sizable fines if they work on federal gun cases. Some experts say that law is unconstitutional. The courts will have to decide. But the legislation shows just how hard it is for advocates of stricter gun laws to make headway in Jefferson City. Those advocates include my two guests today. Both Leslie Washington and Tanya McCaw are leaders with the nonprofit organization Moms Demand Action. For them, gun violence is personal. It's taken a serious toll on their families, and they're here to tell us about it and what they'd like to see change in Missouri. Tanya McCaw is the St. Louis local group survivor lead for the Missouri chapter of Moms Demand Action. Tanya, welcome. Thank you. And we're also joined today by Leslie Washington. She's the Missouri State Survivor Lead for Moms Demand Action. Leslie, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Leslie, the threat of gun violence is actually why you left St. Louis. Take us back to 2013. What was going on in your life? Um, In 2013, I was dealing with um, an abusive ex-husband who threatened me. Um, He fractured the orbit in my left eye, leaving damage. So now with that, I suffer damage and things of that nature. So I left him to get away to safety, and I I went to Cape Girardeau to be in a safe place and go to the safe house for women. And if he had not had access to a gun, would you have been as scared of what he might do in, in some of these situations you were in? Well, definitely, because this one incident particularly, he used his hands. And so a lot of times he would use his fist, you know, balled up his fist, and hit me repeatedly on my face and stuff like that, leaving bruising and things like that. So when I left him to get to safety, he put it a posted a gun, a, a firearm on Instagram, on his Instagram page, and there was a fully loaded clip sitting next to him. So that sent the message that he was, you know, threat. he was threatening to kill me. You knew enough to take yes. that very seriously. Yes. That's just such an upsetting incident, and and I know it's not just that incident. No. Tanya, gun violence hit your family just last year. What happened to your husband and his sister? Um, just last year with my husband, my sister, he was going over to take her a lawnmower. She needed, but her, gas, her grass was already cut. And they was just standing there having a conversation because they're very close with each other. And all of a sudden, gunfire. They don't know where it came from, which direction or what vehicle. All they heard was gunfire, so they was trying to duck. But, you know, she was pronounced at the scene. 
So your sister-in-law was killed. Yes, she was killed. And your husband was he um, was he injured at all? Um, yes, he had seven grazes on him. They thought he only had two, but once I took him home to examine him, there were seven grazes that he had, and it was actually a bullet hole that was in his shirt, but never a bullet. I mean, it been sounds there. like if he had been just an inch to the side, your husband could be gone. Yes, he could have been. You know. And Leslie, this is not just people using guns to inflict violence on each other. Mm-hmm. It's also violence people do to themselves. I understand Correct. that includes your cousin. Yes, I had a cousin. Um, he was 19 years old. And 1984, he took his own life with the firearm. Um, he was he lived right around the corner from my mom and my stepdad and I. So my mom and I were coming back. I think we had been like running errands or something. And we saw the paramedics and everything go down, you know, down their street. But I never thought, you know, that it was my actual cousin that had taken his own life. And his sister had found him, you know, with the bullet wound, you know, in his forehead. And so my my stepdad called my mom and asked her to come around to the house because that was his sister's house. So she went around there. I went to my neighbor's house. And then I think maybe about an hour or so later, she came back to get me because we had to go to the store and, you know, get do some errands and then go back over to the house. And so she told me, you know, what had happened. And I'm thinking, you know, that he was okay. It didn't dawn on to me that he actually was dead, you know. So it did not hit me. You know, once until once I got in the house, I was putting things away and I just ran to the I put everything down. I stopped what I was doing and I just like took off and ran, you know, to the bathroom and started bawling because I just not could imagine life without him. I mean, he was 19. He Mm -hmm. was going to school, you know, down at SEMO. So and he was just a happy go lucky individual. And for him to just take his life like that it just to this day I still don't know why do you think the situation would have been different if he hadn't had access to a gun if it would have been just a little bit harder for him to act on whatever depression or or anxiety he was feeling I think it could have been you know he could not he may not have been able to you know take his life but he may have been able to take his life some other way and not just with a you know access to a gun Mm -hmm. and to this day, I still don't know where that weapon came from. I still don't know how he got a hold of that weapon. Hmm. I don't know if there were, if they ever had guns in the house. I just, you know, because I was always around there and I never really saw, you know, any firearms. They could have been hidden and I just not even, you know, be aware of it. So I just, I don't know. So thinking about these stories that each of you has told today, they have a couple things in common. One is they're they're very sad stories. Right. And the other is that guns, just how easy it is for people to get guns, how easy yes. it is for people to use guns. Right. We talk a lot in Missouri about Second Amendment rights. Tanya, when you think about your neighborhood in that context, do you feel that right conflicting with, with how you want to live your life? Especially the neighborhood I stay in. You hear gunfires all the time. Hmm. And are know. these people shooting at each other, just shooting in the air? What's, what's... There is this, a lot of times they're shooting in the air, but majority of the time they're shooting at each other. Hmm. It's what they're doing. Hmm. 
So it's an incredibly frustrating situation yes. here in Missouri. And this is something that you guys are both so focused on. Yes. Leslie, what needs to change in this state to change this situation we're in? Well, first of all, guns in the hands of a domestic abuser can turn domestic violence into murder. Um, access to a gun in a domestic violence situation makes it five times more likely that a woman will be killed. Also, over two out of five women in Missouri reported experiencing some form of um, partner violence in their lifetime. And then between 2013 and 2017, at least 183 people in Missouri were killed by intimate partner violence. Hmm. And guns, like I said, are the weapon of choice for domestic abusers. And in Missouri, firearms were used in nearly two-thirds of the intimate intimate partner violence fatalities. And, you know, this is this is all coming in this context where federal law prohibits people who've been convicted of a misdemeanor involving domestic violence from having guns. But we don't have a similar law on the books here in Missouri. Um, Leslie, I know that's something that you're focused on. Correct. Uh, Missouri should prohibit abusers um, subject to domestic violence protection orders from having guns by passing HB 473. Um, federal law already prohibits gun possession by abusers who are currently subject to domestic violence protection orders that are issued after notice and a hearing. Most states have laws that automatically prohibit abusers subject to these protection orders from having guns, but Missouri does not. In the past few years, states as diverse as Alabama, Louisiana, Kansas, Nevada and Virginia have enacted this type of legislation with strong bipartisan support. HB 473 would protect Missouri communities by prohibiting abusers subject to domestic violence protection orders from having guns. And research shows that laws prohibiting abusers subject to domestic violence protection orders from possessing firearms are associated with a 13% reduction in intimate partner firearm homicides and a 10% reduction in intimate partner homicides. Have you been able to get lawmakers in Jefferson City to pay attention to those statistics you just shared? Um, It's been hard, especially because we've been in a pandemic, so we actually haven't been there face to face. Mm -hmm. But we have been able to submit testimony for certain different, you know, for certain things of that nature. But just being not able to be there in person has been very difficult because, like I tell people, I said, if I share my story, I want them to see my face and I want them to match match the two together like okay this is leslie washington she's from southeast missouri here's this brown little woman she's sharing her story you know and she wants to get that awareness out there that these things are very important and very and she's very passionate about it tanya do you think the fact that so much of the legislation that was done last year ended up moving remote people weren't in person people couldn't go testify it made it harder to explain what you're dealing with what people like leslie are dealing with yes it made it very hard to explain you know i'm like leslie i want them to see my face you know you have to put a face mm-hmm. and and when An they expression when they words. see your face can they continue to not listen I mean, do you feel like this is something where this this gets people's attention? It gets people's attention, yes. When they see your face, it mm-hmm. gets their attention because they're able to see where you're coming from in your face expression. Right. 
and so, then they can match like like Tanya said they can match my passion yes along with my facial expressions and the way that I'm talking about it they can match that she's very passionate and that this is something that's very important and very necessary for you to act on and not just sit back and be lax about it and so, yeah, that spring session ended without movement on this, without it being able to get across the finish line. But it sounds right. like you're not going away. You're going to come back on this. Um, no, they're stuck with me. I'm not <laughs> going anywhere. So once, like I said, once I'm able to get there in person, they will see my little cute face and I will be there talking to legislators and getting my point across um, along with Tanya as well. Yes. So just, you know, Having that support from Tanya and from other Moms Demand Action Advocates as well is very important because that that lets me know that they support us and they are in this fight with us to end gun violence. And because this is this is a pandemic of gun violence, like domestic violence is a pandemic. Gun violence is a pandemic as well. We're talking today to Leslie Washington, the Missouri State Survivor Lead for Moms Demand Action. We're also talking to Tanya McCaw, the St. Louis Local Group Survivor Lead. That's, again, with the Missouri chapter of Moms Demand Action. Um, Very hard to get headway in Jefferson City. You guys are not giving up the fight. In addition to efforts to lobby down there to make your voice heard, Moms Demand Action in Missouri also created and is sponsoring a traveling exhibit to bring attention to this problem, particularly as it relates to kids. Now, Leslie, I know you got to see this because yes. it's only recently come to St. Louis. It's here now. You can see it here for the next right. month. But before that, it was in Cape Girardeau. Correct. So tell us about this. Um, we It's a traveling memorial. It's a T-shirt memorial. And it signifies the 46 children that have been lost in Missouri in 2020. And it's 46 children. And the youngest is six months, I believe. And when you say lost, I want to clarify something here, because this shocked me when I looked at this. These aren't all the kids killed by guns in Missouri. These are all the kids killed in gun homicides in Missouri. Correct. I understand that Moms Demand Action had to make a decision to only include just the homicide deaths, because otherwise there would be just way too many. So many more, just the 46. So they... Um, decided just to do the 46. And so those are, like I said, the 46 children that have been lost. So this this doesn't count people who were killed in in accidents with guns. It doesn't count people who have self-inflicted gunshot wounds. That's that's staggering to think about. It's still very staggering. And it's still very depressing because of all the children. There's so many children that have, you know, that can have access to a gun, to a firearm and harm themselves or unintentionally harm someone else, another family member or another child. And we just see this all too often. And it's just, it's sad. And we just, we have to do better. Like we just, to bury a child, like my cousin, um, Keith, he was murdered in 2015 here in St. Louis, as a matter of fact, in December. And his murder is still unsolved, mm-hmm. you know, and he was in his 30s. So just imagine that my family still does not have closure behind that, you know. So just all these other children that have been lost is just is just heartening. And that's why I push forward to do the work that I do with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. 
So, Tanya, this exhibit is going to be here in St. Louis. There's a number of different locations where people can check this out. Moms Demand Action has the information on that. What can we do to get the people in St. Louis who need to see this and and need to uh, pay attention to this toll to get them to be the ones seeing it, not just people who already agree with you on this? We're going to have to get the message out. You know how you make the events plans up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, um, on a radio show that um, they're normally listening to. And we're going to have to push the message out for them to be able to get out and see it. Get people where they are. Yes, to get people where they are. And I'm pushing in my family because, you know, I... It still comes in gun violence because I just lost two cousins also last mm-hmm. year from gun violence, um, and it's unsolved. And I also had a cousin to, you know, kill herself, you know, mm-hmm. in suicide just maybe a year ago. So mm-hmm. I understand about all of it, and this was the main reason of me joining moms. So there's so many, so many deaths in each of your lives that that tie into these guns. And we know this is not an easy battle in Jefferson City. Where do you feel hope? Do you feel any hope when it comes to this situation? Yes, I do. And what's your hope? Yes, I do. I feel hope. I feel hope that we're going to get exactly what we're fighting for. And they're going to make that change. Leslie, what gives you hope as you look at this problem that seems so intractable and the political leadership that just does not seem like they see the same solutions as you? Um, I feel that if I continue to persist the issue to get that issue out there and get that awareness out there, I, I my hope is that um, we find some type of resolve in this pandemic of gun violence as well as domestic violence because they go hand in hand. Um, Like I said, a weapon of choice for domestic abuser is a firearm. So I feel that with the persistence that myself and Tanya and other volunteers with moms, that there will be some resolve and it won't, these mass shootings, these homicides, these gun deaths, intimate partner violence. I mean, I just hope that it will stop eventually. Well, we're all with you in hoping for that. And we do want to mention, we have talked quite a bit on the show today about gun violence and suicide by gun violence. We do want to mention there's help available if if you're struggling with your feelings related to this. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 800-273-TALK. There is always hope. Leslie Washington, uh, Missouri State Survivor Lead for Moms Demand Action. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's always great. And Tanya McCaw, St. Louis Local Group Survivor Lead for the Missouri Chapter of Moms Demand Action. Thank you. And thank you for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. 
and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.